Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. I'm very pleased today to welcome back Ned Breslin to the podcast, whom I spoke to three years ago when he was leading Water for People. Today, after a change in direction, Ned is the CEO at the Tennyson Centre for Children, a 112-year-old non-profit based in Denver, Colorado, dedicated to helping children who've experienced severe abuse, neglect and trauma so they can bravely and safely change their life story. Well, thank you so much, Ned, for taking the time to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs once again. It's so nice to be back. So tell us a little bit about what you're up to today. The last time we spoke to you was Water for People. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's a, a, another, uh, a whole other area now. Yeah, I mean, Water for People was an amazing journey. I had spent about 25 years in the water sector. And, you know, at Water for People, we kind of repositioned uh, the way water and sanitation NGOs uh, and governments and aid agencies really think about uh, you know, long-term impact, uh, scaled impact, and kind of reimagined coverage and sustainability. And we implemented it in a bunch of districts around the around the world in Africa, Asia, and India, and uh, Africa, India, and Latin America. And you know, when we started that, it was funny when we talked last. I think we were talking about how a lot of people said, "Ah, you're never going to be able to do that." <laughs> and yes. we uh, uh, and we did. And so now uh, most organizations are, are operating at, you know, at a really different level. And that was great. Um, but, you know, I, did, I decided to give it a shot in a different sector. I wanted to see if some of the principles of Everyone Forever could be applied elsewhere. And so I kind of, uh, you know, did everything differently. So instead of being international, I'm now working, you know, in Denver, Colorado and working in Colorado. So it's all local and uh, domestic, uh, instead of pipes and taps and finance, I'm working with, uh, you know, a community of abused and neglected children that, that people generally forget about. So Tennyson center is, uh, the Tennyson center for children is, uh, about 112 year old organization it used to be an orphanage actually. And we went back to the original site up in Loveland, Colorado, and we now, uh, we're based here in Denver and we work with between, kind of 300 and 400, 450 kids and families every day. Uh, And what we're trying to do is help um, kids who are suffering trauma from abuse, neglect, uh, or mental illness to kind of get back on their feet and find their strength and heal and reintegrate back into into society, reintegrate back into safe families, safe schools, and back into broader society. So it couldn't be more different than my path with Water for People. Yes, and, and what, what brought you here, uh, Ned? Mm-hmm. What, what attracted you about the organization? I mean, clearly a, a, a multitude of factors, I guess, not least the, the actual area and working with children and so forth. Um, maybe talk about that, but also maybe about the organization as well and how you look at an organization coming in. What is it that gives you a sense that this could be something that... Uh, one, I guess, you know, uh, meets uh, your expectations, but also that there are some things that you think you can do. Yeah, well, my, my journey here is actually kind of coming full circle. So I was actually one of these kids when, when I was a kid. And so 
Uh, my family, uh, my parents were uh, horrendous alcoholics. My father was sexually, physically, and emotionally abusive. And when I was 15, he literally uh, dropped me off in Buffalo, New York, and drove out of the, out of the city, left me there, and uh, left the state. They ended up, my family moved to New Jersey and left me in Buffalo. Um, and so, you know, I had, you know, a lot of the kids that we see at Tennyson uh, have paths that are very similar to mine. You know, I had to spend a lot of years kind of processing and recovering and getting counseling. And, you know, you have a much better shot if you deal with it as a kid, but I didn't have that chance. Um, and so, you know, I, I felt it was time to give back to my community uh, and time to, uh, you know, I'd been doing a lot of work with particularly male survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And I just felt it was time to start maybe getting ahead of the curve and, and work with kids. So, um, so I took yes. that jump. Which yes, was really, yes, yes, really good. And, and, and when you came to Tennyson, I mean, was it, I mean, a, a traditional organization? I mean, what, how, how do these organizations generally run? And, and you know, when you looked at that, because yeah. um, I guess one of the, the, the interesting developments has been, I guess, how social entrepreneurship has brought in new funding, to you know, uh -huh. new ways of looking at uh, uh, new business models, new organizations, which is more or less appropriate to different kinds of uh, sectors and different kinds of problems, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the conventional way of doing things and, and you know, what your view is as far as Tennyson's concerned? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the kind of child welfare sector is not known for its success. That's for sure. Um, you know, you have kids who go through this, uh, who get taken from their families or who are in families and trying to keep them in families, even though they're experiencing amazing trauma. And, and the results are pretty terrible. You know, you have about 60% will have some interaction with judicial or, or police. Uh, many of them get back into emergency rooms. 25% uh, of the of kids who come out of the foster care system are homeless within two to four years, which is, you know, not acceptable. And so the results are not great. And it's really because the sector is very kind of segmented and siloed, right? So everybody kind of does their thing. Um, and so you get a kid, imagine you're a kid and you're, you, you've suffered some horrendous abuse and let, let me just put it in real context. So there's a drug, drug epidemic that is raging America. Um, and, and other parts of the world, it's based on opioids, heroin, meth, all of that. Uh, Denver alone has seen an 81% increase in the last two years of kids they've had to take out of unsafe homes. I mean, it's been massive, right? And so what they tend to do is they tend to stick, stick them with organizations like Tennyson, uh, service providers who will provide some mental health support and uh, try to get them back on their feet. And then they kind of pass them on. I call it hot, potato hot potatoing. They basically chuck them to some other foster home or service provider. And these kids are just bouncing all over the place. Tennyson is generally um, at the end of the line. So when kids get here, we work with kids from 5 to 18. And when kids come into our kind of eyesight, they've been between seven and 15 placements. Some of these kids are five years old and they've been in five or six homes and service providers. I mean, it's outrageous. And so what's, what's basically happened, and I think what the kind of entrepreneurial spin we're bringing to this is, um, you know, everyone's doing a fine job with what they're doing, but none of it is really helping kids. And so what Tennyson is doing is reimagining the pathway that kids take so that you stop all this bouncing all over the place, you provide ongoing support and you kind of stay with kids, 
you know, maybe from five to, and we're, we're looking at tracking results till the kids are 30 years old. Let's make sure they get out and let's provide support because, you know, a kid at five who is suffering from trauma, you may be able to kind of get them settled and everything, but you, you have kids, right? They're a different kid at 10. They're a different kid at 13. They're a different kid at 15. And so they have to battle these things. So Tennyson is, is trying to reimagine the way that kids navigate the system. And we're trying to show that by helping with transitions and working with kids over time, as opposed to just a moment in time, you can actually get kids to a place where they're productive adults, where they are not dancing with police and emergency services, where they can actually form safe and healthy families, and where they can actually thrive. And we're, we're starting to see real difference in movement simply because we as an organization have decided not to play the game anymore. What has that entailed? It sounds like it's a mm-hmm. um, it's a clear cut, you know, strategy. And says, yeah, that yep. sound, makes sense. What have you had to do to do that, Ned? Uh, what has been some of the obstacles mm-hmm. and, and, and boundaries? Well, what we've had to do is uh, we've had to set some of the same goals that you saw at Water for People. So we basically said, let's imagine, let's take a let's take a county, and let's imagine what it would look like if every single kid got support um, and didn't fall through the cracks, and you help those kids and families that interact with them kind of drive through to success. So what does that look like? That means we now go into houses and we work with families and kids to keep them in those houses. We provide therapeutic support in the house as opposed to bringing them here to Tennyson. We um, uh, work with schools much more directly and so that these kids uh, have a real shot to stay in school as opposed to fall back. We provide, we work with families to get them the financial support they need because a lot of families who are experiencing uh, or kind of helping a kid navigate the trauma that they're experiencing are in extreme financial crisis. And frankly, a lot of parents were doing a lot more work with parents. A lot of the parents of these kids have been traumatized themselves. And so we're kind of reimagining the way we interact with kids. We are trying to keep them in their environment in a fundamentally different way as opposed to pulling them out. We're trying to help them kind of walk with them and accompany them through school and through their childhood with these families in a positive way. And we're doing that in partnership with county government, with other service providers and with schools um, that all are sitting back and saying, you know, that it, it intuitively makes perfect sense when no one was doing it. And like, you know, most social entrepreneurs are kind of grabbing little bits of of things from other sectors and grabbing little pathways and try and kind of reconfiguring the puzzle. And that's what we're doing. I think the biggest challenge we face is, uh, you know, it's a hopelessly underfunded sector. Um, a lot of people don't want to talk about this situation with kids. And so you kind of take them from families or you take them out of the system, out of their kind of ecosystems and, and you underfund it. Um, so what we've been doing at Tennyson is getting really aggressive in our fundraising to blend with, conventional forms of funding, which usually comes from counties or insurance agencies or Medicaid. And we're basically able to offer a, a, a wider range of services and a longer kind of uh, a longer support to families because we're not being hindered by, you know, kind of narrow billing and all of that. What we're hoping to do in the next five years, and I think we'll do it, is to say, look, if you really want to get kids through this, it's actually going to cost this. And let's have a real conversation of costs. Let's have a real conversation with businesses about what value we bring to them, because this is a future workforce. Um, and let's like reimagine the way we as a community in Colorado 
uh, help kids. If we're successful, I think what we're going to show, and, and this is the hunger of Tennyson, is we're going to show countywide models where every kid in those counties gets the support they need. We're going to show massive savings through emergency rooms and judicial, and we're going to make a case that these investments up front have a much bigger impact on kids and their healing and their health than if you wait till they're 30 years old and you're, you're dealing with them, you know, in a police station, frankly. Well, a full plate there, Ned. <laughs> it's a full plate. It's exciting, though, isn't it? Well, it is. Absolutely. How many of these ideas are actually uh, things that you've had to kind of pioneer yourself? And how many ideas have in mm-hmm. different locations been, you know, have, have you, you checked, looked, looked around, see what other people are up to? Um, how, 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 how have you balanced that? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think the navigation of kids um, through the system is something that is rare, but it's not unique. Um, so there's Boys Town, which has done it, and everyone, you know, most people remember the movie Boys Town, but there's Boys Town that's been trying to do that for a long time. Uh, there's there's a couple groups in places like Tennessee and Kentucky that are doing it. I think the one thing that we've done that is pretty unique is we launched a program called No Kid Waits. So imagine you're a kid and something happens. So you're you you suffered some abuse, for example, um, and you actually are in a safe family right? Say your mom is really great. And I've met a lot of really great moms. So you go there and you're, you know, the family's imploding and you basically say to, you know, the county services or the county child protect protection person will say, you know, we, we, you're absolutely right. Your kid's in trouble. You're in trouble. This is a real problem, but we don't actually have any place to put you. We don't have anyone can, uh, who can help you now. So we're going to put you on a wait list. And so in Denver, the wait list is six to eight weeks before you get any help at all. In some counties in Colorado, it's as much as six months. That's insane. And so we built, and this is pretty unique, we built uh, a program called No Kid Waits, where we built a team that goes into those houses within 24 hours, works with them to financially stabilize them, works with the kid with low-level kind of therapeutic support to start to settle them, works with the parents to settle them. And then what we do is basically ease them into Tennyson. Um, we launched it a number of months ago and we're the first, I, I think I could say this with complete confidence. We're the first agency in the United States that's actually wiped out of its wait list. Um, and so what we're going to do now is we're going to offer it to other service providers in Denver's, uh, human services so that no kid in Denver waits. If we can actually provide that support so that families can get settled immediately when they are in crisis, we believe it'll ease that transition into services and, and, speed up the healing journey that these kids and families are on and that will have significant significant impact so we've done a couple things we've borrowed like you said we borrowed from other places we've initiated a couple things that are pretty unique we've started a monitoring system that i think is pretty ambitious it's like i say it's going to uh track kids till they're 30 years old um most organizations track kids for 12 months um and so we're going to see really what works and we're going to have really hard conversations on what aspects of our programming need to dramatically improve to get kids to a better place. Sorry, the last couple of minutes there, your your speaker, your mic went a bit funny. Um, oh no! Yes, because um, that was such a good answer, dude. Yes, it was. No, it's just it's just the last couple of minutes I need. Um, right. So where do you think I got? Yeah, you literally the last minute. I mean, if you just want to take it from, so we've taken a few ideas. From, yeah, 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 I'll do that yeah. again. Yeah. So, so. 
you know, Tennyson has done what a lot of entrepreneurial organizations do. We've borrowed from other organizations, not just in kind of child welfare. We've been looking to like last mile health and and living goods, you know, which are kind of aggressive out front, uh, getting in front of problems, uh, kind of community health worker, public health initiatives. We borrowed from those. Um, but we've also initiated a range of new things to fill in the gaps that clearly exist in the sector. Uh, we've built out a monitoring system that will track kids till they're 30 uh, in a sector that really tracks kids for 12 months, which is, you know, who knows what happens after 12 months. Um, and I think these combination of, of borrowed and new things we're hoping will spark some rethinking in the sector. Brilliant. Lots of innovation there, Ned. And um, just as far as the mic is concerned, I don't know whether you're touching it. It was I, We got through that, but there's a couple of moments where um, oh. where somehow it was just... I, I don't know whether it's the some part of it yeah it's, it's it, what's it sounds like it's is there a bit below that, that that's uh, I, I can't see on the screen it's right uh, here yeah. it's right by mine yeah i'll I see hold that. it up a little bit more yeah i know it, it, it it's a bit of a bore because it means people have kind of be a bit static like that i've got a set up, set, set up here that's a bit different but <laughs> no, that's brilliant brilliant now and uh, then can you talk me a little bit about the funding obviously a crucial side of it and and uh for many social entrepreneurs clearly you know finding new sources of funding is is something they're very good at also often requires a change of culture within an organization or a change yep. of understanding or change of way of thinking about what the kind of services that they provide are and you know the ways that they would get remunerated i mean can you talk about that in the context of tennyson yeah, so the child welfare sector is generally driven by billing, right? So you get money from Medicaid, you get money from insurance companies, you get money from like Kaiser Permanente, different hospitals, you get money from the state and from the county. Um, it's pretty, you know, they just did a review in Colorado uh, of rates for kids coming into places like Tennyson, and after two years, we got a dollar fifty-four increase in rates, which is, you know, I mean, I, I don't even know what I do with that. I'll buy it. I'll buy a Coke, right? <laughs> I'll buy a Coke for the kid. Um, and so, you know, Tennyson is kind of interesting, though. We have really strong connections to faith-based community, particularly the a church called the Disciples of Christ. Um, and so what we've done over the years, and I think where we're really taking it now, is to kind of aggressively say, look, how do we blend billing um, which for Tennyson is about 65% of our total revenue. How do we build up philanthropic dollars to do things that no one in the sector is able to do because they're so reliant on billing? And that's where No Kid Waits comes. That's where the monitoring comes from. That's where you know the navigation and support we're providing that is, you know, again, borrowed but fairly unique. Um, that's where we're able to start building out. What we're also doing, and, and this is a trend I'm sure you're seeing with a lot of the entrepreneurs you're talking about, is, um, and, it, and it's new for me, to be perfectly honest, is uh, there is a real kind of growth in interest in hyper-local initiatives, right? And so when I was at Water for People, we, we started at about a million dollars a year. We went to $20 million a year, uh, which was massive, growth and it was because it was such a revolutionary approach but it was a hard sell you know I was talking to people about um, you know helping boys and girls and women particularly in Africa Asia in Africa India and Latin America um, you know that's really far away Tennyson the field if you will is right downstairs we run a school 
for about 120 kids uh, who are experiencing trauma and mental illness challenges. And so I don't need to go to Malawi to see it. I can actually go right downstairs. And what we have in Colorado is a lot of people understand that this is a huge issue. Um, and so we are able to talk to people at a very hyper-local level, um, which, is, which is different. I think culturally for the organization, we've, uh, since I've joined, I think it's fair to say we've become much uh, hungrier. Uh, we're hunting out new opportunities, not only in the philanthropic space, but also with kind of state and county agencies. Um, and because our ambitions are so clear and because the impact that we're starting to generate even now, we're, we're starting to show that we can really keep kids in families, on track in school, out of hospitals, even in a very, you know, over the last couple of years, we've been able to show that. Um, people are starting to say, yeah, I buy that. I buy that because I actually see that kid. And actually somebody in my building is probably a Tennyson kid as well. Um, so we've been integrating kids back into Colorado society for years and years and years, for, for, for 112 years. And we're starting to tell that story and talk to businesses in a fundamentally different way about their workforce, about ways they can contribute to the building of their, their communities and their states. And truth be told, people are hungry for that. They're hungry for somebody to do something locally that transforms lives and makes everyone's situation fundamentally better. It's a lot harder to sell, particularly now. It's a lot harder to sell that story in Africa. And I don't think that's a good thing, but I am taking advantage of it, frankly. Absolutely. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Now, where are you on, on the, the journey? Because I guess when you take on a project like this, you, you, you uh, have a lot of aspirations, things you want to get done, but you've got to do it stepwise. And, and yep. there are certain things you've got to get done before you get to the next bit. How, how did you kind of break down the, 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 the job that you had in front of you and where are you on the journey yeah, it's a great question. So we're going to do a couple of things over the next five years. Uh, we're going to model out in five different counties. So there's 64 counties in Colorado, and the counties are very different. We have the Eastern Plains, which is basically farmland. We have the Western Slopes, which is basically mountain. And we have this corridor through the middle. Uh, and all of those areas are fundamentally different. So what we're going to do is identify five counties plus Denver around the state and show that even in these different contexts, you, you can actually implement a program where no kid gets left behind, no kid gets abandoned, every kid gets back on track, and instead of sending kids who are really having a hard time to Denver, we're going to keep it local. Um, when we said that, and we're going to eliminate wait lists, when we said that, people were like, wow, that's really great. I'll, I'll kind of believe it when I see it. Um, so we've got Denver, and we're doing really well in Denver, but we actually started in two other counties. And they, those two counties have given us their hardest cases, and we have excelled in those cases. So not one, of those ki not one of those kids has been taken out of their home. They're all still in school, which no one thought was possible. And so, as you know, you know, kind of great entrepreneurs really model, right? They start to show progress and movement in, in complex situations within different contexts. So we have three counties that are starting to move. We're doing it in partnership with other organizations, so we're not doing it alone in it, by any stretch of the imagination. We're coming in collaboratively and supportively and not as the kind of, you know, the big gorilla from Denver. And organizations and counties are starting to respond to this. If we can start to show movement in these counties, 
and eliminate wait lists in these counties, which we expect to do quite soon uh, in terms of wait lists. And we already are showing progress in terms of helping kids in these counties, kids and families. Um, and then we can start to show that actually you can do it in the farmlands of the Eastern Plains and you can do it up, you know, in, in an obscure county in, in Western Colorado. Then people are going to sit back and say, just like we saw at Water for People, they're going to say, well, if they can do it, we can do it. And so our ambition is to model, give away, generously give away our lessons, what works and what doesn't work. We'll be super honest about what, what doesn't work. This isn't just going to be like, hey, we solved it because this is bumpy. This is child welfare. This is bumpy stuff. But I think what's going to happen, if, if I could predict, is we're going to start getting real momentum and others, other great organizations are going to sit back and say, well, we can do that too. And counties are going to say, we can do that too. And what we're hoping to see is a proliferation of this kind of every kid forever model where no kid is abandoned, every kid gets back on track, and every kid has a real shot to get you know, through their trauma out of high school into productive uh, adulthood. And if we can do that, maybe Colorado could be the first state that pulls it off. And then who knows? Maybe Utah gets jealous. Maybe uh, uh, New Mexico yes. gets jealous. Yes. And then it starts spreading. So our view of replication, very much like Water for People, is you know you scale you scale by replication and you 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 enable replication through generosity and through openness and through giving away tools and tactics and even financial flows um, so that others can model this and others can do it because we can't do it alone so we're just going to model we're going to test we're going to find ways to do it we're doing that in three counties we're going to bust out to another three uh, for six in total five new counties in Denver. And we're going to constantly give this away so that others can move into counties we can't move in for the good of kids. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. So what are two or three things that, things that you've learned don't work, Ned? What, 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 what did you try other things? Are there a couple of things that seem to make sense or just for one reason or another? That, yep. um, yeah, and, and, uh, and as you say, you know, you're dealing with, well, it, I guess is the case in, in all social uh, impact initiatives is that you know it's not like a ice cream stand going out of business and people having to That's go right. a bit further away there's you know a significant human trauma and and and, and costs mm -hmm. and so forth so uh on the one hand uh innovation and and change is good uh, on the other hand wants to be a little bit cautious uh, not leaving uh yep. yeah so can you talk about that a little bit i think there are a couple of things that that we've learned uh don't work very well for us so number one is uh we are not good when we um, seem pressured to move a kid before we think they're ready, and so we throw them to another organization to take on. And it's, it's generally called step-downs. Um, so we're at a pretty high level of support, and then you go to a kind of lower level of support. If we don't provide backup support to that agency that's, that's working with the kid who was at Tennyson in, in a thoughtful way, if we just hand them off, it doesn't work and it's not fair to that organization and it's really not fair to that kid. Um, so that's one thing we don't do particularly well. The other thing is we've had to make a hard decision about who will we not work with. And I'll tell you one, one community that we're not with working with right now. And that is kids within juvenile justice. Um, that is a whole different kind of ball game, um, and a whole different skill set than what we have. And so we will work with organizations that do amazing work uh, with kids in the juvenile justice system, but we're not going to kind of gear up for that because, because uh, frankly, we would have to reinvent a whole side of our organization. When you say advocacy, can you just 
talk for a moment about what you mean there and what the alternative mm-hmm. to advocacy is. Well, a lot of a lot of people when I talk about advocacy, I think it's it's profoundly based around storytelling and showing through stories how kids can move through and get out of and and become kind of productive adults. And so what we do is we blend data with stories. We take individual stories and show how it's actually a bigger story. One of the things I hated in the water sector, you'll appreciate this, is, you know, you'd see all these organizations and they'd say, you know, you know, Juanita, you know, had a horrible life and then she got a toilet and now she's got a great life. And, you know, what are you talking about? That's Mm. that's that's not storytelling. That's garbage. Right. And so what we're what we did in the water sector, what we're doing here is basically using examples of kids who have processed their trauma and who have been unleashed for good. And then we show that that's not just one example, but it's one of many examples. And then we build in data behind it. And that data is a combination of kind of impact data, but also, frankly, financial data to show that by these investments, these are the savings that were made. So let me give you one example. Uh, Kaiser Permanente, which is a big kind of hospital, public health uh, insurance company here in the United States. Um, You know, they do a lot of things. Uh, Amazing organization. They started to, you know, they would get kids who had been traumatized and, um, you know, or or kind of, you know, undermined by the drug epidemic that's that's ravaging our country. Um, And they would try to work with them themselves, right? They'd put them in the hospital. They would try to treat them. And they didn't have great results, and it cost them a lot of money, right? So what they started to do is they they started to say, well, can we actually work directly with you, Tennyson? And uh, and can we kind of track whether that has better results? We've shown that we can we've saved them over thirty nine percent of their costs. We've shown we able when we've been able to keep kids on track in school on their kind of recovery path in a far better way than they could. So, you know, they're now, we're now their preferred provider, if you will. Um, That story, you know, and we can talk about kids and families and all that kind of stuff that went through that, but that is, that is having a huge impact on their, their costs. That's having a huge impact on uh, their decisions around raising rates uh, for people down the road because we can save them money. And so my advocacy, if you will, is to take examples like that and show why that's been fantastic for kids, but that's also fantastic for you. That's also fantastic for Colorado. That's also fantastic for Denver. And here's how, and this is why these investments make sense. And I find that people and you know state legislators and mayors and governors, that's the kind of stuff they want to hear. Brilliant. Brilliant. What's the vision for the future? You talked a little bit. What kind of time frame are you thinking of and, and what do you want to get done over that time? Tennyson. We want to, in the next five years, have modeled out how you work in collaboration in uh, Denver and five other counties throughout Colorado with a vision of taking those lessons and scaling them throughout the all 64 counties in Colorado and see if we can get one or two states to start to adopt some of the things that we're doing as well so that more and more kids can be helped indirectly through our work than directly. Well, I wish you the very best of success with that, Ned. Thanks, and I'll come back and tell you in a few years how we're doing. How about that? Fantastic. Thank you, Ned. Thank you. All right, you're the best, my friend. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. 
please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.